Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you are here at Talk Shop, Talk Shop Nigeria. As you know, uh, the African continent has a, had a lot of problems uh, with talk radio due to uh, political interference and propaganda, and it has been no different in Nigeria. So to speak to us today about the talk show landscape of Nigeria is Nelly Kao, who is from Talk Info Nigeria. Please could we give her a warm round of applause. All right. Good morning. Um, I have a bit of a cold, but I'm sure that I can survive this. I'm actually here to um, tell you a story of the evolution of talk radio in Nigeria. And before I begin, I want to say, first of all, that I am Nigerian. Every South African I've met, except the South African that actually invited me over here, has thought I was from Johannesburg or some other province. And so I started a very typical Nigerian thing, which is start an argument or a debate on something no one cares about, and then scream loudly about it so that everyone agrees with me. And I said that um, Nigerians are better storytellers than South Africans. And uh, yeah, that's what I said. And of course, all these South Africans said that was a lie, but I insisted because of Nollywood and African magic and the drama. So I'm here to tell you a story, and if I do a poor job, that's the answer to the useless debates that I began yesterday. So it's really about the evolution of talk radio in Nigeria, its challenges, its future, and why it's relevant today. But it may not also cover some things you want to ask about talk radio in Nigeria, so when I'm done, please feel free to ask me anything outside what I must have told you. But to begin um, to talk about the evolution of uh, talk radio in Nigeria, you have to understand why I'm the one here to talk about it. The, no the first um, criteria for this, or how you know me, is that I am a pain in the neck. All of my bosses, one of them is the one in the middle here, would absolutely agree. I am the only talk radio host in um, Nigeria who provoked what we would call the maximum penalty for reversion of a broadcast misdemeanor by the National Broadcasting Commission. And that was really only for doing my job. I take pride, yeah, thank you. I'm actually very proud of it. <laughs> but I hope that at the end of our conversation, you'll understand the peculiarities of Nigerian talk radio, why it's necessary for the rural poor in Nigeria without electricity to have talk radio, and the urban poor and middle class in Nigeria without electricity to have talk radio. Not having light, not having electricity keeps us all humble. It's the one thing we all share. Now, I have worked in both music and talk formats, and I can say that talk radio is my preferred version. Um, can someone here just tell me your first impression of talk radio? Not many people are fans, and some people are diehard fans, but what do you think of talk radio? The first thing that comes to mind, anyone? Come on, you must have an opinion. I'll take it's boring, that's fine. Informative, okay. Um, the ability for talk radio to set a tone of conversation, to challenge the status quo that we're all very familiar with, and also to be able to um, change or influence the opinion of an entire generation is just mesmerizing. That is one of the reasons I love talk radio. It's one of the reasons I'm in talk radio. But another side of it is it could be shocking, provoking, and politically threatening. And these um, things are something that I cannot tell you right now that talk radio in Nigeria is yet. 
We don't know if um, generations are being formed as yet from the two or three talk radio stations we have. We don't know if um, we're challenging status quo effectively or we're just going along screaming as the time changes. But the relevance of the uh, format all lies in its impact in society. So I'll just go ahead and tell you um, what it means to Nigerians. Now, to Nigerians, um, talk radio has been about, or rather, radio in itself. The media has told Nigerians how to think, how to be, what to believe in, how to act. Literally, radio would exist to tell you how to act at a certain time in Nigeria. And it could be quite disrupting when a new format of radio comes in, and instead of telling you how to act, it challenges everything you've known. It forces you in conversation to ask questions about the things that you've already accepted. And um, that's not something the listeners are very familiar with. Nigeria is about 190 million in population, and that's minus the Nigerians in diaspora. And... Um, 75 million of that number are either uneducated or poorly educated, with six Nigerians becoming poor every minute, according to the data by the World Poverty Clock. So the conversations on radio have to be delicate, very delicately conducted. The skill that you need to be a talk radio host in Nigeria is effective communication, but the kind that helps you communicate properly, knowing full well that you will be misunderstood. The possibility of being misunderstood for saying even the commonest things is just very high. Now, one of the major concerns regulators have is this, that ignorance can be combustible. So if you are talking to someone without the right knowledge of what you're saying, you just might be triggering things you haven't yet imagined. Now, most talents on radio are neither trained nor equipped to deal with these peculiarities, and um, because of that, most um, regulators, our only regulator actually, is peculiar in how they handle these things. Not many uh, media owners are interested in investing in their talents and training them or providing adequate welfare for the few of them that have actually trained themselves. So the lack of professionalism is something else. It's something that um, is a big problem for us in talk radio. For those that are professional, they run the risk of elitism, where you're professional and you're speaking, but you're also isolating the mass who may not be in the same skill as the issues or how you are conducting these issues. And it's a problem that um, radio in Nigeria has solved. So what we have done is develop more indigenous languages. We've got about 520 indigenous languages in Nigeria and 300 tribes. So if you cannot attend to all of these languages, you can speak in what we call pidgin English. You break the English down. It's a local um, parlance for us, and people still communicate. So that's basically um, a challenge. In Nigeria, debates uh, can be very misunderstood. It could be, say, a beginning, a predicate to a very combustible situation. So you must be um, careful. On-air talent in Nigeria today is both producer, presenter, and engineer. And when one person has to do all these jobs and you move him to a talk radio format, that just doesn't work. Now, let me tell you, I, I cannot continue talking about talk radio without going further to, say, the past of talk radio to help you understand how we got here. Now, independent talk radio stations in Nigeria were established by investor owners when they discovered that Nigerians love to talk and they, we wanted to talk more, so they decided that the impact of talk radio format to society was not the point. 
Perhaps they thought it would be entertaining to have people to just keep on talking. If the impact of this was a focus, then it shifted with time. So people figured they could talk, they could finally be heard, and media owners decided, well, this is a good idea. Let's make money off of this interesting thing. But the profit-oriented focus was also the reason for a loss of identity. All they want is the profit. It's fair, it's commercial radio. Profit has to be made. But when profit is being made, listeners no longer know when the methods change. Um, a study by students of communications in River State discovered or decided to find out what young people thought about talk radio in Nigeria. There are two prominent commercial talk radios in Niger um, radio stations in Nigeria today. Nigeria Info FM and, uh, forgive me, Today FM. Now, these two uh, talk radio stations exist in Potakot. In Lagos, what you have is Lagos Talks. And they found out that young people in Nigeria believe that talk radio is boring. Young people in Nigeria also believe that if talk radio had more music in it, they'll listen. So in Lagos, we discovered that that's also true, and it alienates women. So we changed format. You know, let's have a more easy conversation, dialogue that has more banter, that women can follow. We did change this format, and all that happened was the advertisers didn't like it. So we changed it again. And they didn't really see how they could sell it, so we changed again. And at the end of that, listeners no longer knew what they were listening to. And we came to a very important question, who are we? It's so easy for you to have a blanket format and just say, we are a news, talk, and sports station. But what does that mean? In the past in Nigeria, radio broadcasting um, was basically existed in the beginning as a radio diffusion system, just to get people to listen to what the British wanted them to listen to as far back as 1933. If you subscribe, you get information in your house. But that changed as well. Around 1951, with over 74,000 receivers, the MBS was created, National Broadcasting Service, and that replaced this radio diffusion system by 1960, the National Broadcasting Commission was born, which is the NBC, I'll tell you about them too. And we grew more independent, our media grew more independent. And that's where the problems began. The military came on and took over during the Civil War. You must have heard it, but it's the Nigeria-Biafra Civil War. A section of Nigeria decided, we can't take this anymore, we would rather become independent. And then the rest of Nigeria said, no. And that's how the Civil War began in the simplest form. There were three military generals, General Yakubu Gowon, General Motala Mohammed, and later General Ulushegun Obasanjo. These three generals had great influence on the media. Yakubu Gowon was the head of state during the Civil War and years after. So he wanted the media to fix the problem of Nigeria and let everybody believe in one Nigeria and the idea of continuing Nigeria. So he instructed the media and he made the media a tool to rehabilitate, reconstruct and reinvent the image of one Nigeria. He was overthrown by Mutala Mohammed and he decided, you know what, I don't care what the media is for, the media should say as I want them to. He decided that the media would work exactly how he wanted. He subordinated the media, and media became absolutely a tool. When he was assassinated in 1976, his deputy took over, and he became the same thing. Obasanjo decided that, you know, agriculture will be good for Nigeria. And he made the media go on and on with campaign and propaganda and all kinds of things about agriculture. 
You might be saying right now that there's nothing wrong with a media that is working for the government, you know? The government might as well use it to spread good news, but let's not forget who we are. We are an unbiased observer, a free agent, a voice for the masses, not for the government. And a free agent gets to choose. The moment the media stops choosing, it's no longer free. It's no longer a free agent for the society at all. I want to tell you a story. It's not my story. But I believe that the hybrid, um, the hybrid media we have today is a reflection of our hybrid democracy. Now, this story was told to me by a man called Mr. Oyetunde. It's his experience. And he, was in, he is a 30-year Radio Nigeria veteran. He was there from 1968, right in the middle of the Civil War, to 1998. And he remembers an experience. He said the radio days in the time of the military was an amazing experience. And he considered the uncertainty of moving from one military uh, government to another as the hazards of the job. Those were his words. He said that um, he recalls a very um, a day, he doesn't know if that's fortunate or unfortunate for him, but that day his boss, who was the editor, did not show up, suddenly came late. So he went to work to run the newsroom. And while he was there running the newsroom, something happened. Before narrating the story, I need to give you a little bit of a, um, some background. Now, when the military governments change, and they did change quite often, there will always be an announcement by a soldier on the air. And before you hear that announcement, a music plays, and they call it the martial music. The moment martial music plays, the masses on the street doing whatever they're doing know there's been a regime change. So, he said this man, who later he found out was Lieutenant Colonel Buka Suka Dimka, walked into the studio and in a very Nigerian fashion was yelling, where's the studio, where's the studio? Forgive me, he walked into the Radio Nigeria building. Now, Oyetunde, who is boss at the time and very Nigerian, came out and said, what's the matter? And at this very point, somehow he sensed it that this man talking to him in civilian clothing with so much authority might not be an ordinary man. So he calms the situation down and says, okay, he can show you the studio. He points to a young reporter and tells the reporter, take this new story, go in and give it to the presenter and come back. On the way to the studio, Dimka sends this young man back with the new story. And in the newsroom, the next thing they hear is martial music. So they walk into the studio and there's Dimka trying his best to um, announce that Nigeria has changed regime and he had already assassinated the head of state at the time, General Motala Mohammed. So while he was trying, he said something, well, yet they said he said something funny, which is something unprofessional. And so they all laughed in the studio. But if, you are, if you've ever been in a radio studio or worked with a mic, you know that people who are not familiar with the mic can get quite intimidated with it. Even assassins and coup plotters, once you have a radio mic, you, you're humble. You know, so, and then they all laughed, and he announced what he wanted to announce as a regime change, Nigerians, and everyone knows this. Oyetunde says on his way home, he sees this guy who had walked in to announce this regime change, running away, like moving away from the building, a very vast building, through the back. And he wondered, why not just walk through the gate? Then he saw Nigerian soldiers at the gate, all armed. Anyway... Needless to say, that was a failed coup. Dimka and his associates were 
executed much later, and the government um, continued under General Lulushegun Obasanjo. So life went on, it seems, in Nigeria at the time. But that's the history of the media, where you can just wake up one morning and something could happen. You're not in control of what happens. So, how did I get here? How is it that the pain in the neck is the one who gets to tell you about Nigeria's media? This is because on the first week of October 2017, the fourth, I believe, I aired a live interview on the 50th anniversary of the Asaba massacre. Now, this got the NBC on edge. NBC, our regulator, I told you about them. And they decided to pull the program off the air right in the middle of a live broadcast. I remember my boss running in and whispering in my ear, end the show now, end the show now, NBC is threatening to shut down the station. We're Nigerians, you know we say things twice or three times. And <laughs> so after I ended that show live, I didn't say I was coming back or anything, I just ended the show. Um, a few weeks after that, I was slapped with a fine, 500,000 naira, that's approximately 20,000 rand. And yeah, I know, I knew that story would catch your attention. <laughs> yeah, 20,000 rand, and I was asked to pay that money. Why? You see, in October 1967, during the Nigerian Civil War, the very beginning of it, Nigerian troops led by Motala Mohammed. Do you hear the name again? Yeah, he wasn't a head of state at that time. He, they began ransacking homes and killing civilians in Asaba. And they were claiming that these civilians were Biafran sympathizers. You see, the southeastern Nigeria is where you find the majority of the Igbos. And it's a region that is separated from the southwestern Nigeria by a river, the Niger River. There's a bridge across this Niger River. But during the war, you also find, uh, before the war and before Nigeria became a country, some Igbos, Easterners, had settled on the banks of the southwest on the other side of the river. These were the Asabas. So during the war, Nigeria was able to isolate itself. The Igbos were able to isolate themselves on the other side, block the bridge or do anything and let the river separate you. But the Igbos on the west didn't have that assumed protection. It's assumed because the Igbos lost the war, so it wasn't so much a protection at the end. So these Nigerian um, Igbos, the Nigerian Igbos on that side, didn't particularly have that protection. But then they're Igbos as well. So the soldiers walked in and were killing people in their homes and committing all these crimes. The elders of the land got the information and decided, you know what we'll do? Let's call an assembly. Let's dress in white, a sign of peace, or you know, have a wave a white flag, and sing One Nigeria as we march. And as we sing One Nigeria, perhaps they'll see that we are for the Nigerian cause and not for the Biafran cause. And as they walked, they got to a point, a particular junction, where the soldiers stopped them and gathered them. They separated the women and the children, and the men of fighting age and above were put to one side, and they slaughtered the men. That is not my word. If you do read up on this and you can find it everywhere, the word was actually a massacre. It became what they call a town of women. The women buried their husbands and their brothers. All the men were gone. That particular event claimed at least 1,000 lives in that small town of Asaba. Now, 50 years after, the Asaba people just wanted that to be told in history. They believe that when the Civil War is being narrated, people do not remember 
that they also suffered. So I had a grandson of one of the victims of the war, and um, his mother lost her father and brothers. In fact, she couldn't bury one of her brothers because they couldn't find a body. So the focus of our conversation was simple, really. Are we ready to discuss our history? To understand this, I want you to know that Nigeria never talks about the Civil War, not in history books or anywhere else. In fact, how most children in Nigeria know is by reading a Chinua Achebe book, for instance. Propaganda didn't work in the 70s. Erasing history by not teaching it in school didn't work. So it was time for the media to do its job. The Asaba people were gathering, celebrating this, and it's news. You have to report it. But the NBC said that um, I did not provide balance, that I did not tell the other side of the story. Yeah, the soldier's side is what I'm guessing. Maybe I did not get a soldier and ask him why, and, you know, have a victim and say, meat or something. Anyway, they said it wasn't the right time for such conversations, and, um, you know, they went on about old ones and such. But you would agree with me in South Africa that um, there is never a good time to face history. There's never a right time. And then they also said something about disturbing the peace. The NBC accused me of disturbing the peace. But I live in Lagos. It's the perfect cosmopolitan arrangement that Nigeria could ever claim. Talk radio was flooded all that year with listeners wanting to know about our past. On the other side of the aisle, we had people screaming about Biafra's fairness or unfairness. And... <laughs> They'll ask us, why are we avoiding the obvious? They'll ask why we're not talking about something that's on social media, on print, on everywhere else. It is an embarrassing state of affairs when Instagram is having a conversation that talk radio seemed to dodge. And I believe that we needed to talk about our history. Is it too delicate to discuss? I remember a senior NBC official telling me that it was wrong timing, and to quote him, he said, this is not the time to be a good journalist. It is the time to do as you're told. He meant well. It's all he's ever known. I neither got a chance to defend or explain my decision, why I made such an editorial decision. The program was harmless. In fact, the only chaos that was created, because that program was on air for about 45 minutes, was people assuming on social media that I'd been arrested and detained because of the sudden disruption of the program. I did not return on air for two days. Oh, I wasn't detained, I was just attending meetings. <laughs> meetings upon meetings, none of them was I allowed to speak. Anyway, um, the radio station, as I said, never gave me a chance, and um, I was slammed all that 20,000 um, rand and fired for a few hours, too. They hung me out to dry. In my opinion, I suffered more from my bosses than I did from the NBC. I often wonder if the NBC ever listened to that program while it was airing, or I know they panicked when they saw it on social media. Now, is the NBC a partner or an adversary? A good programs manager would tell you, those who have worked successfully with them would tell you that in negotiating with the NBC, you have to state your case with superior argument, and that way you could avoid punishments. The punishments could range from misdemeanor, as high as 20,000 rand, or a complete revoking of a license for a major infraction. But a good program manager knows that with the NBC, you must have a good knowledge of the code. 
you must have an ability to respectfully argue your case. Confidence in the quality and ability of your on-air talent is one. Patience with them, recognizing the authority is another, and having a sound knowledge of broadcast ethics. And this is the best way to explain it. A perfect African blend of commendation and critique. Yes, sir, but that's how it works. But Chimamanda Adichie said something, to quote her. She says, be astute about when you need balance. Sometimes seeking balance gets in the way of telling the truth. And for me, I made that choice to tell the truth, seek knowledge and recognition of people who suffered a dreadful history, then find another narrative by government to gloss over what they've suffered. When people talk about balance, when NBC insists on it, I think about the LBC, uh, leading Britain's conversation. It's a talk radio in the UK, and I love them. I like what they do. They seek balance in a style that I admire. In the morning, they have a, uh, a host called Nick Ferrari. He's a conservative. He goes on in the morning, and he's done at 10. At 10 o'clock comes James O'Brien, who is a liberal. And after that, they have more different perspectives through their hosts. This is a station that had Katie Hopkins on it, if you've, you need to find out about her. Yes. So in that way, the entire station is balanced, not particularly a single host or a single program. So you monitor the station's effect at the end of the day, as opposed to one host after the other. Whenever I suggest this, people tell me, oh, Nigeria has unique peculiarities, the Nigerian listener is unique, and things that work over there can't work in Niger. And I understand, but I disagree. The duty of a talk radio listener is to desire, require and ask for it. But the duty of a talk radio host is to provide unbiased information and guarantee the listener a partnership that they can trust. Have the Nigerian listener stopped desiring unbiased truth, the freedom to express themselves, to hear and be heard? Have they stopped it, like everybody else in the world? Have they stopped challenging status quo, asking for a representation in the media, just like listeners everywhere? If they still desire these things, then the simple thing is, we have to give them what they desire. They haven't changed. So talk radio needs to stop pretending to reach for the inevitable and just do its absolute best to encourage dialogue that informs, inspires, educates, and entertains Nigerians. No need for the excuses about the peculiarity of a Nigerian listener. Listeners are peculiar everywhere, but they need one thing. So I believe that talk radio in Nigeria today is mercurial, very delicate. But it can find success. And before I wrap up, I'm going to address some of those reasons. But it takes a few steps. I believe that consistency and a narrow focus on format is a key to talk radio survival. The reason I say this is because of what I said about the advertisers, changing and changing of things. A talk radio host can change tomorrow. You could hear me in the morning for two weeks and I'm no longer there. And then the investor owners could decide, you know what, maybe you should start talking more about women and how they love their men. And tomorrow, we're not going into hard-hitting politics. There is no way you stick to a format, no matter what that format is, if you don't believe in the consistency. 
Now, as a commercial talk radio, you need to survive and thrive on commerce. But Nigeria's talk radio, and in Lagos, you can just count two that are owned by independent stations. They're already funded because, and I say this because, take Nigeria Info, for instance. Nigeria Info is already supported by Cool FM and Wazobia. Cool FM is a pop, um, contemporary pop station. And then you have Wazobia, which is a pidgin English station. They're rich. They make lots of money. Nigeria Info is only six years old. In talk radio years, we just got born. We just, we just cried. But in commercial years, oh my God, six years and you haven't broken even? That's how a commercial person would think. You need to give talk radio the ability to thrive, to convince the listener that I cannot live without that person's opinion or without that identity. Give it a time to have its identity. Dragging it along to make money cannot do it any progress. You must dedicate to that format. Professionalism increases listenership, so train your host. Give them a chance to grow, and the ones who train themselves, you have to stand by them when they make certain editorial challenges or choices, because it's the job of talk radio to question things and add that little spark and fire to things. You must employ experienced broadcast talents, find them. Talk radio cannot survive its infantile stage and just profit-making and all that. Investors have to focus on content and societal impact before profit. Advertisers cannot call the shots in commercializing of talk radio. They cannot call the shots. NBC needs to be regarded, in my opinion, as a partner, not an adversary, because we cannot change how they work. They are used to the military form, and now in a democracy, they are trying to have a new method. You must understand the peculiarity of that. Think about a Democrat, a former military leader becoming a democratic leader. Think about that mindset when he once could tell radio or TV, say this and don't say that. But today, talk radio questions him and calls him names and says things. And I can imagine what he's thinking, wondering maybe in his, before he goes to bed, like, I miss the good old days. <laughs> NBC needs to be regarded as a partner. NBC has a history, and that history is a reason for its knee-jerk reaction to controversial conversation. But an independent NBC is an asset to Nigerians. It's not yet completely independent. Nigeria is a fertile ground for talk formats, so current talk radio stations need the competition. And investor owners of talk radio stations need to accept the challenge and support, or as we say in millennial speak, have the back. We still say that, right? Yeah. Have the back of your on-air talent. Consistency is the key. Let's avoid making excuses. Pick a format, stick to it. There is no need for a format we don't understand. Just simplify it. Let's avoid making the news talk sports format a cover for being masters of nothing in an industry where mastery and specificity is everything. Thank you. And for some vain reason, I just want to add that today is my birthday. Yeah. <laughs> I'm done. Come on. <laughs> yeah. 
Black people blush too. <laughs> Thank you so much, Nelly. That was really good. And you captured all of us for the entire time. So thank you for that. Um, can we all give her a big round of applause once again? We have about eight minutes to take a few questions. So, um, okay, there we go. First one. So after your fine, how much did your show change? Do you feel like you've been maybe looked at a little bit more, censored a little bit more after costing the station so much trouble? No, I never changed. I never censored. I am known for being stubborn. I told you I'm a pain in the neck. So I never changed, but I lost faith in my, in my company. Complete faith, and I never believed in them again. Did you pay? Yeah. Labor laws are weak. <laughs> um, are yeah. you having any constant engagement forums with the NBC? Um, I attended one. NBC meetings are so exclusive to radio managers and investor owners. And radio managers and investor owners have complained of being in a meeting where they suggest to the NBC, the NBC says, yes, good idea, it's on paper. And it never makes it into the code. I have attended one of them where it was announced that the penalty for minor infractions would go from 300,000 naira to 500,000. I should have known at that meeting that it will be me. But, yeah, so, yeah, I have attended one, but they never really meet with us presenters, just the bosses. So it's hard. But I must say before the next question that I think it can change as, more, as they grow confidence in talk radio itself, as they start believing that the host can actually have these conversations without just setting up, if I may say, a keg of fire, you know. And for now, they don't have that trust because, once again, the hosts sometimes are not well-trained, and you need research and care to talk to a population that might not understand you. Yeah. Hi, Lily. Um, Hi. I, I, how do you guys phrase, in, in particular, your your audience in, in Nigeria. Because yeah. I find there's a lot of similarities. We're, we're slightly different in South Africa, right? Um, in, in terms of how are they recept receptive to conversations around history. So th there's, there's a lot of similarities. We're going through our own issues in South Africa right now. Yeah. And, and, and uh, ours is, is currently about the land and what's, what uh, happened to, to, to South Africans then. And I, and I find from, from what you said, from your presentation as well with with regards to the history of Nigeria, right? yeah. uh, of Nigeria. And, and, and I find there's a lot of discomfort, especially when you go back to history and you have honest, uh, at least try to have honest conversations about history, right? How are your people receptive to those conversations, in particular opening up and, and talking honestly about what has happened to the people? It's very dynamic to ask how Nigerians re to react to anything because there's a lot of us and a lot of versions of that. But honestly, Nigerians are more open to talk about it because we never ever used to. The advantage South Africa has is, I can tell how many movies I've watched about your history. In fact, I was on air when Mandela died and I had to announce that he was dead and I started crying like he was my uncle, like I knew him. Because I, I did, I grew up with the story, with everything. Um, but. In Nigeria, we're not allowed, nobody says don't, but you're just not allowed to talk about it, and obviously even in the media. But a new generation of Nigerians have been born that did not see the war, born in the 80s and the 90s. They're adults now, and they're curious. They want to know. And how they receive it is, 
in certain areas vary. In Lagos, it's cosmopolitan. We'll take it well. But if you go to certain areas in the north or in the east where that is raw to their fathers, you have to be more delicate how you break it down. So Nigerians are willing to discuss it if discussion is a thing, if it's not critique or condemnation or blaming. But if discussion is the purpose, of course, because I had a very great review. Funny enough, that show is still on Facebook, and my, you know, my company still has it on Facebook. It's still having social media traction, but it's just not on air. So online is another way to have a conversation that will not be censored by the NBC. Nigerians are willing to talk about their history if they'll let us talk about it. We have time for just one more question. Anyone? Okay. There we have it. Thank you so much once again, Nelly, and enjoy the happy birthday. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much.